Good afternoon, Cornerstone. Just want to welcome you to our 12 o'clock service. Um, I am not Eugene. My name is Hojin, and I will be uh, speaking the word today. Uh, Eugene is teaching uh, our Connecting Point class, and I just want to plug that for all of us. Um, I know a lot of us here are college students, but it's one of the best ways to know about the church, ask questions to Pastor Eugene, and then figure out ways how to become an official member. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm just going to be here for a couple years, and then I'm going to leave Boston anyway. I think there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of um, grace, and a lot of blessings that we can share when we say, hey, Cornerstone's going to be my church in Boston. So if you're interested at all um, in becoming a member at our church or just even wanting to talk to Pastor Eugene, please check out our website. We have a, li a link separately just for Connecting Point. Um, otherwise, we're really glad that you're here. Maybe it's your first Sunday here, uh, especially if it's your first Sunday here. We're so glad that you, um, that you came to check us out uh, for whatever reason. Um, our, our church is young. Like, look around. We're not many of us have old, like white hair, and I'm, I'm like probably a lot older than most of us here, but I don't, even I don't have a lot of white hair. And like, it's nothing that we do intentionally. We don't go out to the college campuses and say, hey, check out Cornerstone Church. It's for young people. It's just that young people just come to our church. Um, and because we're young, we're always thinking about the next steps in life, right? If we're in college, we're thinking about, okay, we're... Where are we going to work later? Where are we going to uh, find our jobs? Who are we going to marry? Where are we going to live eventually? And maybe some of us are young adults. We think about, okay, what is my next job going to be? Or how do I progress in my career? Do I need to go to grad school? Do I need to um, apply for a new job? And some of us here are parents, and we're thinking about, not, not me, but parents are thinking about what, is my future for my child? What's going to happen? Are they going to grow up healthy? Where are they going to go to school? Who are they going to meet? Who are their friends going to be like? What are they going to study in college? We're always thinking ahead in life. And we rarely think about, we don't want to think about our finite lives, that one day we will die. And uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie 50-50 yet. I know it came out, and actually on Rotten Tomatoes, it came, like, got ranked like 93%. And I'm not endorsing it completely, but um, there's a, a scene from the movie that I want to show that it's really, it just really intrigued me. Uh, I thought it was really um, good to watch, and we'll, we'll, we'll just check it out right now. Look at me, look at me, look at me. All right? What kind of cancer it's, is it? What's the name of the cancer? Some rare kind of cancer. What, 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 what's it called? Schwannoma. I knew this. Schwannoma? Schwannoma. It's schwannoma? What's schwannoma? That means tumor, basically. Your chances. So. What are your odds? I don't know. I mean, I looked it up and it said 50-50, but that's like the internet, so. It's not that bad. That's better than I thought. You're gonna be fine, man. You're young. Young people beat cancer all the time. Every celebrity beats cancer. Lance Armstrong, he keeps getting it. Yeah. He's fine. Yeah. Dr. Dexter, right. he's okay. You're gonna be fine. Yeah. You're gonna be fine. 50 50. If you were a casino game, you'd have the best odds. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. It's good to work. 
You don't want coffee? I'm awake now. Uh, I wanted to show that clip because um, the premise of the movie is that um, the character who just told Seth Rogen that he has cancer, he's a young guy. He's 27 years old. He's a radio producer. And he's telling his friend that he just found out that the tumor in his back is cancer. And clearly, Seth Rogen doesn't know how to respond, how to comfort, comfort him. Like the best thing he can say is 50-50. Like, those odds are awesome. And we don't deal with these situations a lot in our lives. And I think this is just indicative of our culture. Um, especially for a lot of us college students, we're not thinking we're going to die anytime soon. But 27 years old, like plus minus 10 years, that, that's almost every single person in this room. I had a friend in college who found out that he had stomach cancer and he was just 20 and I couldn't believe it, but I saw him, like he would come in and out of school. I saw him just get really stick skinny. I saw him lose his hair through the chemo. I just couldn't believe a 20-year-old could get cancer like that. And we don't think, and I'm not trying to be morbid, but we don't think about these things, even though it's reality. So a question that I want to ask is, what would you do if you only had a few days left to live on this earth, what would you do? How would you spend it? Where would you go? Who would you spend it with? What would you do? The fact is, we don't know if we're going to die. You know, God forbid if we go outside, we take the tea or in a car, we get into an accident, we have no control over that. And today, our psalm, we're in a sermon series through the psalms, is dealing with the transience and the temporal nature of our lives. Just a temporary, just like a brief, like spurt of life that we have. So let's turn to our passage, Psalm 90. If you don't have a Bible, you could read along with me on the screen. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and it is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may, we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 
Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. We pray that we would hear nothing but your word. Father, I don't want to share my opinions on things. Lord, my prayer is that what I do share is all from you, for you. So Father, strengthen us. We need a reality check in our lives. And we thank you that your word provides that for us. And we ask that you would bless us, that you would strengthen us and fill us so that we can live lives that are appropriate before you. So Father, we ask for a double dose of uh, strength and grace. Some of us have uh, served the church during first service and um, are trying to sit through service, uh, the second service. Lord, I pray for a special, special blessing on those servants that they would receive um, strength from you, hope, grace, mercy, love, and they would be able to see you clear. So Lord, we ask that we would see you and you alone. We love you, Lord, and we need you to speak to us. Teach us, Lord. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been five weeks into our sermon series in Psalms, and so far we've seen human, real, real emotions, circumstances, meeting God, his character, and his deeds. In one of the Psalms we saw... The, the singer, right, these, these psalms are songs, and the singer is saying how lonely he is. But then he says that he finds comfort in knowing God. In another psalm, we've heard that we feel that God has forsaken us, that God is distant from us. But then that same psalmist says, put your hope. He's talking to himself, put your hope in God. So this whole series in, in the Psalms is about learning what it means to approach God in the proper way. It's okay to feel what we feel and think what we feel, but we have to come to God, know who he is, know his character, and then respond. That's the whole, like, if I could summarize the book of Psalms for you, that's what it is. And here, Psalm 90, like I said, is about the temporary nature of our lives. You know, we even read that our lives are 70 years at most, maybe 80 if we try really hard. And the movie clip that I just showed, it was a 27-year-old man, and he did everything right. He ate right, he did good deeds, he exercised, but he still somehow got cancer. And I feel like a movie like that appeals to our culture because it's real. But here, when we, when we have God's word before us, when we feel whatever we feel, we need to come to his word. We can't say, okay, this is how I feel and it doesn't match up in my head. So God, you take a break while I try to figure this out. And when I'm all taken care of, when I figure it all out, then I'll come to you. The Psalms are about, no, I feel these things and I have to go to God even more than I did before. And I, I pray that that's our intent, that's the goal of going through these psalms. 
And the heading of this psalm is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's technically the oldest psalm in all 150 psalms. It's the oldest one. Moses is the author of this, and he's the, he only wrote this one. And it says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And this is a tangent, but I think if you want to become a man of God, you need to pray. If we want to become men of God, we need to pray. And ladies, don't date anybody. Don't marry anybody, especially if you're a believer who doesn't pray. So now the guys know that every single girl here won't go for a guy who doesn't pray. So motivate the guys to, to become holier in that way. Say, oh, you don't pray enough. They'll try. I had a friend in college, he started to go to church because he saw a girl that he liked and he became a Christian and now he's part of like a nonprofit organization startup and he's like helping others find Christ. And it was all because of a girl. Ladies, you have that type of power over boys. You have that type of power. So anyone who's interested in you, tell them, I only take guys who pray. And somewhat related is that the prayer ministry is looking for volunteers. So all you guys interested, um, ladies too, the prayer ministry is looking for volunteers. There's actually a training. You don't have to have like any experience or um, like, like you don't have to be an expert. We're all just trying to learn how to pray together. So if you're interested, uh, please let me know. Come up to me or check out our website. We have a link to uh, Helen Lee's email and just contact her. Tell her you're interested. Tangent over. So this setting... The setting of this psalm is Moses. He's in the, if, you, if we don't know the story of Moses, it's the book of Exodus. And if you haven't read it, I would, I would really encourage you to read it because it's about how God delivers his people from oppression, from slavery, from the Egyptians. And this psalm is called a community lament. They're in the wilderness and they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And in this wilderness, God is providing for them pretty much anything and everything that they need. Even in terms of where to walk, God visibly manifested himself in a pillar of cloud during the day. So it was like a big cloud that led the people wherever they went, in the desert and through the mountains, wherever. And then at nighttime, it was a pillar of fire. So visibly, they were with God. Not only that, he provided their daily food. Manna was like, Something that tasted like honey, according to the Bible, that just kind of fell like rain. And God also provided quail when the Israelites complained, hey, we don't have meat. In Egypt, at least we had meat. So God provided quail. And I don't know how they caught them or if God just told them to like fly land and just stay there until like someone picked them up. But literally, they didn't have to do anything. God provided everything that they needed. God even provided the law, the Ten Commandments, the way to live their lives to obey him. But they still sinned against him. While Moses was at the mountaintop getting God's law and inscribing it into stone tablets, meanwhile, the people at the bottom of the mountain, they realize that Moses isn't around and they create an idol out of jewelry and they bow down to it and worship it. Even while God provided them everything, the Israelites sinned against them, against God. 
But God still doesn't forsake them for whatever reason. So this psalm is concerned with that setting. And I know it's like not the most exciting thing to hear, but we need to know this in order to understand this psalm well. So in essence, Psalm 90 is saying life is short. Life is short. Moses is talking about how just, I don't know what other word comes to mind. I, I can't help it but to say like flimsy our life is. It's fragile. It just can be like swept, it can be swept away. So the main point of this message is that we must make the most of our lives. We must make the most of our lives. And we can do that by remembering three things. Three things that we are not. So we must make the most of our lives by remembering three things that we are not, our identity. The first thing is that we are not going to live forever. We, we make the most of our lives when we remember that we're not going to live forever. Starting from verse 2 to 6, Moses is concerned with the comparison between God and man. In verse 2 and 3, like, if we don't know this, Moses is the writer of the first five books of the Bible. And um, I don't know about all of us here, but I know when I start Bible reading plans, I'll do Genesis really well, Exodus really well. And then Leviticus numbers gets kind of like gray and like, and sometimes I'll, I'll like stop there. When, you know, it's not the most exciting thing, but it's God's word. But Moses is coming from that. He knows these things. And he says, before the mountains were brought forth or you ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That Moses is saying, God doesn't have a shelf life. He didn't have a beginning and an end. He just existed He's the creator God. He's the one who formed every single one of us. He formed the whole universe. And then verse 3 is a huge contrast because the God who created everything, verse 3, can uncreate everything. That's the type of power that he has. In verse 3, he says, you return man to dust. In Genesis 2-7, Moses is writing this and says that God picks up dust and creates Adam. And from Adam, he creates Eve. So when Moses is praying here, you return man to dust, he's saying, I can't uncreate you. And, and it's by his word that he uncreates. Return, O children of man. The God who says, let there be blank, let there be light, he can say, let there not be blank, and it'll be gone. If he says, return, O children of man, done deal, will not exist anymore. Guarantee that. So this, the beginning of the psalm is talking about our existence is based upon God's work. Our existence is based upon God's, God's work. And the only reason we continue to exist is also God's work. Our existence and our sustenance are both a work of God. So we are not going to live forever. We need to remember that. In verse Five and six, Moses uses an illustration. He says, our lives are like grass. I don't know if we've ever planted new grass seedlings into the ground, but when um, my family, one time we renovated our front lawn and we like, pretty much planted new seeds of grass, my dad would water it faithfully because if we don't do it, even for 
a day, when the sun comes up, it'll dry it up and kill it. Our lives are like that. In the morning, it flourishes. It thrives, it grows, but in the evening, in the heat of the sun, it fades and withers. That's our life. Moses wants us to know we're not going to live forever. Verse 10 says, our, our lives, he's writing this over 2,000 years ago, and he says our lives are like 70 years at max. And if we try really hard, maybe 80 years. So it's out of our control whether we exist or continue to exist. It's all God's work. What is Moses trying to get to? He's trying to get to the issue of faith. When we don't remember that we're not going to live forever, we think we're in control. We think we're declaring what's going to happen in our lives. In James 4, James is talking about a lot of the similar issues, the similar ideas in Psalm 90. James 4, it says, starting from verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Don't we all kind of do that? Hey, I'm going to come to Boston to go to college, or I'm going to come to Boston for my first job. But after I work there a little bit, after I go to school there, I'm going to go to somewhere more exciting, somewhere with better opportunities to serve, somewhere where I can um, make more money, be happier, meet the person of my dreams. Yet, verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? I want to paraphrase that and say, who do you think you are? I think that's what James is really saying. Who do you think you are? Because your life is like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. If you ever shoot like a spray bottle into the air, it just takes a matter of seconds for it to fade away. You don't see it. You don't feel it anymore. That's what James is saying. Continuing, verse 15, it says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord allows it, we will live and do this or that. As, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him or her, it is sin. We can only live if God wills it. We don't have control. But when we forget that we're not going to live forever, we, we are deluded. We are tricked to thinking that we do have control. We think that we can Say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do this thing, and the next year my life's going to go this way and that way. But if you don't depend on God and expect, or even like ask God, hey, Lord, is this in your will? We're boasting. We're saying we're God. We're saying we're in control. We're saying that I'm in more control than God is. And that's why James is saying it's boasting, it's arrogance, and it's evil, and it's sin. Psalm 90 verse 7 says, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Not only do we not live forever, but we forget about God. Verse 8 says, You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. 
We have sins, whether they're known or unknown. And then in verse 11, it says, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? If we're sinning against God, it's, it deserves wrath. That's the, that's the end, like the, the trade that happens. When we sin, we deserve wrath. And verse 11 is a rhetorical question. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who really understands how powerful you are, how much you hate sin? According to the proper way I should fear you, according to the proper way I should be in relationship with you. And that rhetorical question, the answer is no one. Moses is saying no one really understands how powerful God is. Because if the Israelites really understood how powerful, how holy God is, and they made that golden, golden idol and bowed down to it, even though the living God was talking to their, their representative on the top of the mountain, those people deserve wrath. Those people deserve punishment. The God who can create us and uncreate us has every right to do that. So the second thing we have to remember, apart from we are not going to live forever, is that we are not mindful of God. We are not mindful of God. We make the most of our lives when we remember that by nature, we tend to forget about God. We, we're not mindful of God. Last week, Mo, um, Moses, I said, I mean, I mean Pastor Eugene, Pastor Eugene spoke on Psalm 139 and he talked about the all-powerful, the ever-present, and the all-knowing God in Psalm 139. And if, if we have a good relationship with God, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, that's a comfort to us, right? Oh, God, you are with me when I'm in the lowest point of my life. You are with me at the highest point of my life. God, you know what I'm struggling with. God, you are able to claim victory over some of these things in my life. But if we don't have a good relationship with God, it's a terror. It should scare, scare us literally to death. If we have sin in our lives and we know that God is all-knowing, that God knows our sin, that God is everywhere, we can't like sin in secret. We can't go, you know, like in our closet and sin and like maybe like badmouth one of our friends or I don't know like what, what your vice is, what your struggle is. And that God is all-powerful and sin deserves wrath and if God is all-powerful and he could uncreate us, like that, that should scare us. But that doesn't mean God is a bad God, right? God is the same all throughout. The problem is with us. We're not very mindful of God. And we can make the most of our lives by remember we are not very mindful of God. You know, we read James 4 again, but we have to realize that sin of boasting, what type of offense that is, because God's holiness and our sin can't coexist. Someone has to go. Either God has to forsake us and leave us to our sin, or that sin needs to be paid for. 
Before a holy God, sin cannot be tolerated. And when, when we are not mindful of God, we actually cut God out of our lives. You know, we said it was boasting. But when we think that we're going to live forever, and when we forget about God, then we make all these plans independent, independently from God. And when we make these plans independently from God, we're saying, oh, you're not God anymore, I am. This psalm, in Moses' experience, he realizes that the Israelites have sin, Moses has sin in him, but they're not destroyed, they're not uncreated. And that leads me to my third point. We make the most of our lives by remembering that we are not given what we deserve. We are not given what we deserve. So we're not going to live forever. We have to remember that we're... We are not very mindful of God, but we are not given what we deserve. And that's, that should like blow us away. It should make us stop and really think about what it means to have a relationship with God. And something that's notable in this psalm is that Moses doesn't take anything away. He doesn't say, okay, I just want good parts of God and then not the bad parts. But he sees God is all-powerful. He created the universe, but also he hates sin. It's the same God that he loves, that he wants to have a relationship with. And Charles Spurgeon, he's a British pastor in the late 1800s, someone that I love uh, reading his material. He writes this about this psalm. God who is great in justice when he chastens us will not be little in mercy when he blesses. He will be great all through, let us appeal with him with unstaggering faith. And that's a challenge for us. And this is not an easy message to really share because we have to embrace God's holiness to really understand his grace. If we only understand God's holiness as this much, he's only this holy, that, that means he's only this merciful, this, this gracious we have to see that God is so different from us. He's just so holy. He's so strong. He's so loving. He's just so able while we are not. And when we understand that and how much he hates sin, when sin is dealt with, all he has left, after the wrath is atoned for, sin is atoned for, all he has left is love, mercy, grace, all the good things that we talk about at church most of the time. But we need to talk more about God's holiness. When we're not mindful of God, that's when we sin the most. When we think that God's not around. When we think that God is far from us. That God isn't strong. God isn't faithful. That's when we sin. That's when we turn away from him. But God gives God doesn't give what we, don't, what we deser- deserve. I'm like mixing up things. God does not give what we deserve, which is wrath. We do not receive what we deserve. But in, in the economy of God, the way he does, he does things is that we do not receive what he deserves. But if we're in a good relationship with him, what happens is that instead of that, we receive what we do not deserve. So in that top statement, we don't, re- don't receive wrath. 
which is what we deserve because of our sin. But instead, we receive grace, which we did nothing to earn. The top line is mercy. The bottom line is grace. In verse, verses 12 to 17, all of a sudden Moses starts asking God for things. Like he lifts up his request. And that's, this is another tangent, but maybe this is how we should pray. This is 17 verses, this psalm. The first 11, he doesn't ask God for anything. He doesn't say, God, help me in the wilderness. Like these, these Israelites are like complaining all the time. Like, can you fix this situation? He just says, no, Lord, you are God. You are good. You're, you're the God who created the universe. You're in control. And I'm sinful. I deserve wrath. But I don't get it. And all of a sudden, Moses then prays for something. That's a challenge to us. When we pray, we need to pray about, based on God's character, what he's done, who we are in light of those things. And then we lift up our requests. And in verses 12 to 17, what he asks for is a really interesting uh, sequence because there's nine imperatives, nine like things that Moses says for God to do for him. And it's all based on what he just prayed earlier. But teach us, return to us, have pity on us, satisfy us, and make us glad. And I'm just going to go through these commands really quickly, but... Verse 12, what's most notable is that we can't teach ourselves. God has to teach us. And that's what we don't deserve, right? God doesn't need to teach us anything. And that wisdom, that heart of wisdom, that's grace. That's all grace. Verse 13, return, have pity on us. Moses is asking for mercy, Moses feels God, God, that God is far away. He wants him to come back. Verse 14, satisfy us. That verb satisfy us is actually used later in Psalm 105. And it's talking about manna and quail. It's a daily, daily grace. It's, it's a daily satisfaction. A lifelong satisfaction. And that's indicated even in the second line of verse 14, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Verse 15, make us glad. We think like, oh, satisfy us, make us glad. It's the same thing. But actually it's not. Make us glad, that's a momentary gladness, momentary happiness. Because even in verse 15, it's talking about as many days as we've felt miserable, as we've felt far away from you, Lord, make us glad again. And this verb is also used later in the Psalms. And it, we, we talk about it a lot how the psalmist says, you turn my mourning into dancing, into rejoicing. That's the same verb here. And then verse 16 and 17, these verbs take a different twist. Because what Moses, is, Moses asks for is that in verse 16 and 17, these are actually like pleas. He's just crying out to God. And this verb, this is, for those who are taking notes, this, these verbs are in the jussive form, J-U-S-S-I-V-E. And it's more like a, a desire, a, a request, a plea, a, just like a begging. Because 
I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think Moses realizes that 16 and 17, those are things that God doesn't have to show us. God doesn't have to show us his work. God doesn't have to show favor to us, but he does. We don't get what we deserve, but we receive what we don't deserve, which is seeing God's work, which is having God's favor in our lives. In verse 4 of Psalm 90, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Again, it's just talking about the temporary nature of our lives, but that same idea is in 2 Peter 3. If you have your Bible with you, there's a cross-reference on the bottom or on the side that points to this verse. Starting at verse 8, it says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This passage is written in the context of Jesus' second coming. And what Peter is saying is we don't, we don't receive what we deserve because God is being patient to us. If he wanted to punish us for our sin, he could have done it before we received Christ. But he's delaying that. He's letting us live. And I think, I hope that all of us have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior And that should cause us to praise God. Because God could have taken our lives before we accepted him personally into our lives. But he delays that wrath because he's patient. He wants no one to perish. He wants all of us to come to repentance. And if we've come to repentance, God is delaying wrath because he wants the people around us to come to repentance too. God is being patient, not only for us, but for the people around us too. And when we have a relationship with God, because of Jesus Christ, we have no more wrath. God has poured out all his wrath on Jesus as, as soon as we say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. In Romans 5, verses 8 to 9, it says, But God shows us his love for us in that while we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God could have stopped at just justifying us. That means our sins are forgiven. We're not in a bad relationship with God. But he swallows that wrath. He puts it on Jesus so that we don't have to experience it anymore. And then we experience grace. We're able to experience the work that he's doing. We're, able, we're shown the, the work that he's doing. We're able to participate, it, participate in it. Verse 17 says, establish the work of our hands which is the work that you showed us. And that's why I'm, I'm going to say that we, we must make the most of our lives by remembering that we are not going to live forever. We are not very mindful of God, but ultimately we are not given what we deserve, but actually we are given what we don't deserve. And I think all of us have found out somehow, maybe on Facebook, I know it was everywhere on Facebook that Steve Jobs had died this past Wednesday. 
and he's the co-founder of Apple. He probably changed all of our lives. It changes, he changed the way we listen to music, the way we use computers. I remember as a second grader, I used um, the first, it was called the personal computer, but it was one of those things that you couldn't carry, like with like, you had to take like three or four trips. And I was spending some time with Pastor Eugene this past week, and we were just talking about him because, you know, we're, we have, like, all, almost all of his products, and uh, we just think he's a great businessman. But something that Eugene said is that 1955, Steve Jobs didn't know he was going to be born. And 2011, maybe he predicted it a little bit or he sensed that he was going to die soon, but he didn't know exactly when he was going to die he has no control over 1955 and 2011. But what he was able to do in between those years is what people are raving about him. That he's such a great businessman. He's such a great innovator. He had no control over 1955, no control over 2011. But what he did in between, that little dash there, what he did in that time is what we're going to remember. And for us, we all have different dates, right? When we are going to be buried on our gravestones, it's going to say something. For me, it's going to say, Hojin, 1983 till whenever the Lord takes me. But what am I going to do in that time in the middle? There's a quote that I was going to share about Steve Jobs, but there's a movie that's coming out later this month. Um, Justin Timberlake's the main character, but the premise is that we, we only age until 25, and then we, like, basically currency in the future, I, I think it's, like, set in 2030-something, like, we all have, like, a clock on our forearms. Like, if we want a cup of coffee, we scan it, and we lose four minutes. We only have a certain time. If we have a limited life and we don't know when that's going to be, when that's going to end, how are we going to spend that time? And I think that's what verse 12 of Psalm 90 is saying. Teach us to number our days, assign our days, appoint our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. When we know our days are numbered, then we're going to want to try to maximize our time. We want to make the most of our time. But it has to come from knowing that we're not going to live forever. I know you don't feel it right now, but we're not going to live forever. We forget about God all the time, but we don't get what we deserve. So that should mean we should be living in grace. We should be celebrating in grace. We must make the most of our lives. A question that I want to ask before we close is, if this Sunday, like right now, was your last Sunday at Cornerstone, how would you worship? How would you serve? If this was your last Sunday in your entire life, you'll never go into a church again. Would you worship differently? Would you serve differently? The more important question is, why don't we do it right now? Why don't we do it right now? It's because we forget those three things. 
We think we're going to live forever, so we think we're in control. When we think we're in control, we don't need God. We forget about him. And when we forget about him, we forget all about grace. And as Christians, we can't come up to God living like that and saying, God, where's all the good stuff you promised me? That's sin. And I think we need to repent of that. And then realize the grace that God just wants to pour out on us. In Ephesians 1, it says God has every spiritual blessing. He just wants to pour it on us. A prayer that I love in Ephesians 2 is that God is able to do far more than we can ever imagine. But when we forget these three things, we're going to limit God to a box. We're going to say he's only this holy and only going to experience this much grace. There's so much grace. In Malachi 3, it says, the floodgates of heaven are ready to burst. They're ready to burst if our hearts are right before him. And I know it's not an easy message to hear, but I say this as a brother who really cares because the rest of this world is telling you something else. The rest of this world is saying, yeah, live it up right now. You only have X amount of years, be happy, do all the fun things. But that's so isolated from God. So we need to make the most of our lives. So can we just pray, just even verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. Satisfy us. Make us glad. Let your work be shown to us and let your favor be upon us. Lord, we ask that as we leave this place, Won't you remind us, challenge us, convict us to make the most of our lives? That the years that you give us aren't for us to live independently from you, but actually completely dependent on you. Because our existence is your work, our sustenance is your work. And it's your work that you want us to be a part of, the everlasting God. So Father, be with us, bless us as we leave. Uh, We We need you much more than we could ever realize. We love you, Lord, and we commit even the rest of this day to you. Lord, teach us to number our days. And all God's people said, amen.